0: In the beginning of the day, we, we gather and join together in the, these traditional verses. Coming to the shrine room, paying our respects, offering up these expressions of, of gratitude, of faith in Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha. These are traditional, ritual forms that we we follow in doing this Bowing, chanting, reciting these verses that have existed for the last two and a half thousand years Uh, the uh, the triple gem, as um, when we recite these words, mm-hmm. they uh, refer both to uh, an external and internal qualities. What makes them a, a refuge is not just because they're wonderful ideals, or the refuge in the Buddha as a Historical personage of you know, extraordinary capacities, qualities. But a refuge is a safe place, it's a genuine support, a genuine protection. And the idea of a historical personage or, a, or words printed on a page. The sangha of awakened disciples, uh, even the the presence of bright and liberated beings, those in themselves are not capable of fully protecting, supporting, providing a, a fundamental quality of security. But those external aspects, verbal teaching of Dhamma, even the the fabric of nature itself on an external level, the presence of the Buddha and his teaching, the Sangha of those who have awakened, they can act as a mirror to those very qualities, the place where those qualities stem from in ourselves, within us the potential that lies within us. Buddha means uh, the awakenedness, the one who is awake, Buddha awakenedness. So when we chant our verses of respect and reverence to the Buddha, It's not just he uh, who is awake and holy, it's that quality within us, which is awake and holy. That's what we're bowing to. And that is in actuality the real source of refuge, is in the awakenedness of our own heart. Not so much the presence of of a great and holy being who walked the earth two and a half thousand years ago, So we're bowing to awakenedness. We're bowing to wisdom. Placing the quality of wisdom, heedfulness, right at the center of our attention. Similarly, refuge in Dhamma. And the words of the chanting reflect this more directly. The Dhamma which is the fundamental quality of of our own nature as well as the nature of all things. The ultimate reality of this being and all things, apparent here and now, timeless. Leading onwards or inwards. Drawing our attention to it. Encouraging investigation, ehi pasiko. Ehi means, come here, look. Ehi, come here. It's attractive, interesting, appealing. So refuge in Dhamma is refuge in the ultimate reality of, of this, this heart, this mind, this nature, and the nature of all things. So when we bow to the Dhamma, we're not just bowing to the verbal teachings of the Buddha or the idea of a, the structure of reality. We're bowing to the fundamental truth of, of all things, of our own nature. Bowing to, to the real. That which is absolutely true beyond all Falsity, hypocrisy, old veneers of appearance. A refuge in Sangha, it's not just admiring and being inspired by the, the four pairs, the eight kinds of noble beings, uh, those at the four different levels of enlightenment. But it's bowing to Uju patipano, that which in us can practice directly. Nyaya patipano, that that in us which can practice insightfully. Samichi Patipanno, that in us which practices with integrity. So it's bowing to our capacity to be unselfish, to harmonize. to live from a place of, of virtue. So these, these qualities of the triple gem. these are referring to internal attributes of our own being, wakefulness, reality, and selfishness. And the ritualized form of the chanting, of bowing, of The words Buddhang Saranangachami, Damang Saranangachami, Sangang Saranangachami, these are an ancient formula, but they are pertinent, powerful, here, now. That's why they are a refuge. They are utterly reliable qualities, ever available to us, day and night. attributes of our own being our own nature and when those are placed at the very center of attention we let our life revolve around them around wisdom, wakefulness, truth unselfishness then things start to come into balance so when we recite these words or take the avow the triple refuge, the triple gem is placed at the center of our attention. Then there's a quality of genuine safety, security, support. Also a jewel is that which is beautiful, precious, invulnerable. We discover that which is of genuine worth, Genuine value, beauty, stability. The capacity to be awake is always here. Reality is always here. The capacity to be unselfish is always here. We just need to remember to apply that. So when we avow and revere pay our respects to the Triple Refuge each day in this traditional ritual forms, we're asserting, reminding ourselves of that which lies within us, the most precious inheritance we have, reminding us to make use of that, employ that, give it its proper place And the second part of the morning chanting is this uh, moves into a different gear. These are more reflective teachings. The first part is more devotional, the second part moves into more of a, a reflective, analytical set of teachings, mapping out the, the five khandhas Rupa, Vedna, Sanya, Sankara, Vijnana basically chunking the body and mind into five handy sections. Kanda just means a group or a lump or a section, a heap. So it's just a, a rough chunking of our nature as a human being into physical form, the body. And then the nama the mental factors, feeling, perception mental formations, consciousness. And then it's, uh, it spells out, in this clear, simple, straightforward way, how the, the qualities of these five groups, these body and mind factors can be explored can be best understood, th- applying the tools of the three characteristics of existence. So these are like uh, tools that we use to investigate, to open things up, like having a screwdriver and an Allen key and a, uh, a wrench to open up the engine of our, our body and mind. to investigate, to explore. So in this chanting, it goes through the qualities of dukkha, unsatisfactoriness, reflecting on how any aspect of of our being always brings dukkha with it. Association with the disliked is dukkha. Separation from the liked is dukkha. Yampi, (laughs) Yampi chang na labati tampi Not getting what you want is dukkha. Very simple. And then exploring the five khandas in terms of anicca, change or uncertainty and anatta, not self. These are not... Uh, just philosophical truths that we're supposed to believe, they're tools we use to explore our experience, like a screwdriver and a wrench and an Allen key to open up the engine. They're tools to investigate things with. So we're not believing that everything is impermanent, uncertain, we're not believing everything is unsatisfactory or believing that everything is not self but more taking this question is this changing? is this something that can totally and permanently satisfy me? can this thing truly be possessed? can it be owned? and if if I think it can what is it? what's the bit that's doing the owning? what is that? where is that? So these are tools that we use to investigate rather than philosophical positions to to grasp. When the Buddha taught the, the first discourse, turning the wheel of Dhamma, when he explained the middle way and the four noble truths, only one of the five companions of his who he was talking to understood what he was saying and became an enterer of the stream, awakened to the first level of enlightenment. Only kundanya understood. None of the others got it to any profound degree. It was only a, a little later when he explained things in terms of these five kundas the five aggregates, or five groups, and the analysis through unsatisfactoriness, uncertainty, and not-self. That was when the five disciples all became fully enlightened. Because it was this more analytical teaching that seemed to have given them the more direct tools, the more directly applicable tools to break through, to fully understand. A vipassana meditation, insight meditation is learning the skill of using those tools to open up the, the fabric, the engine of our experience, how life is felt. Known uh, during today or these coming days, as the mind settles down more and more, and as and when the attention can settle on the present moment more easily, the degree of distraction is. Diminished or the range of distraction has diminished, the body settles, the mind settles. When the attention rests in the present, the mind is well anchored in the experience of the present reality, and we're able to stay with that, attend to that. Then during the sitting meditation, it's okay to just let go of the feeling of the breath as being a central object. We can let that just be part of the whole welter of experience, sounds that we hear, other sensations in the body, different thoughts or feelings that arise. To simply attend to what arises, what appears within the space of our awareness. To watch the flow of experience, to watch the flow of change. Whether it's a sound outside, a thought inside. We realize these designations of inside and outside are all pretty arbitrary because it's all really inside. The sound of the bird in the garden. That sound is heard here in this mind. This hole is in your mind. The garden is in my mind. That's where it's known. So it's all really known within this field here. So holding the attention in the present, letting go of the breath, then the effort is just to, to rest in that, that awareness, to be that simple quality of knowing receiving the flow of experience. But that's not so easy because we get interested in the, the sounds. Is that the trickle of rain? Is that the heating system? Is it some kind of murmuring of the pipes? What is that? pick up a feeling in the body or a memory and we get lost in it very easily. It's hard to simply observe the flow of perception without getting caught into opinions or questions, doubts and confusions. So we use the tools of the reflections on anicca, dukkha anatta, uncertainty or change, unsatisfactoriness, not self, as ways of prizing our attention off the content of the experience and just letting the process of it be what is attended to. Regardless of what the sound might be, we know We can ask ourselves, is it changing? Is it known what it's going to turn into? No. Is it changing? Yes. Is it satisfactory? Is it something that can be permanently pleasing? No. Is it who and what I am? Does it have an owner? No. So applying the tools of anicca, dukkha, anatta, bringing those reflections to bear upon an experience, helps to loosen the grip, prizing the, the habitual grasping of the, the object. So this helps to sustain an unentangled participation in experience. It's here, it's happening within our heart, our mind. But we can know it. It can be received and known with an unentangled awareness. There's a participation. It's happening here. It's it's perfectly close to the heart. It's received in this very awareness. It happens here. There's a participation, but that is completely unconfused, unentangled. So when the the time comes, you feel the mind is settled enough to to let go of the breath, or in the walking meditation, letting go of the the focus on the footsteps as one walks along, to just allow the mind to be open to the present, then these reflections on anicca, dukkha, anatta, these are ways that we can sustain an an unentangled participation in uh, the present. The recollection of this is changing, this is uncertain, this doesn't have an owner, this isn't truly and absolutely who and what I am. And I even just dis- as assertions saying, this isn't what I am, this isn't mine, but also we can apply these sometimes much more effectively as questions. Is this mine, the sound of the car swishing down the road? Does that have an owner? Is it perfectly satisfactory? Is it changing? Is it certain that it's the sound of a car? Is it certain what it's changing into? And just that very act of questioning, exploring, helps to loosen the grip. Grasping is based on ignorance and habit. By applying these reflections from a a place of curiosity, investigation, we're opening up the possibility of non-grasping, non-entanglement, inclining instead towards Nibbāna, to peacefulness, to clarity, to uh, an unentangled awareness. Now, all of our dispositions and karmic habits are different. For some people, this is the very first retreat that uh, we've ever done. For others, this is one in in an uncountable collection. That's the most recent in 30 plus years of these things. Some people's minds incline towards peacefulness, steadiness very quickly. Others are filled with agitation and dullness. We work with the way things are, not how they should be. So if it takes a day, or two days, five days, or longer for the mind to settle, that's fine. We just... If, uh, if we're being buffeted around, pulled by the winds and the currents and the tides, then we keep the anchor down. Stay with the breath, stay with the, the footsteps, stay with what is needful to keep the attention anchored. If that's the way things are, that's how we work with them. We use the, the tool appropriate to the task. But if the mind settles with within the first little while, the mind becomes more able to stay with the present today or tomorrow, day after. If things do settle down more easily, then when that time comes, then consciously, let the breaths simply be part of the whole array of experience feeling the rhythm of the breath the weight of the body the sound of the rain the sound of my voice just letting the heart be open to that flow of experience and cultivate the quality of Of knowing. Taking everything in. Breathing it all in. Breathing in the pattern of this moment. Taking it in. Opening to it. Knowing it. And releasing it. Breathing it out. With no remainder. And the purpose of this is not just to simply be Flagging every experience, you know, anicca, anicca, anicca. The point of this is the, sp- the spaciousness of heart, the peacefulness that is here when the entanglement dissolves. That's the point. The point is not letting go, it's not the process of dropping things. The point is peacefulness what is here when the grasping stops when the grasping no longer occludes the reality of the Dhamma that's the point the peacefulness and clarity of knowing Dhamma knowing the fundamental undistorted reality of things So when, uh, when applying this kind of practice, developing the insight in this way, it's important to make the effort not just to get caught in the mechanics of dismantling the engine of experience, but also enjoying the, the peacefulness, the spaciousness of things once that dismantling has been done. Once it's seen through, it's understood. Don't just race on to the next thing. But when we've let go of a sound, of a feeling, of an idea, a mood, make sure that you let yourself know what that feels like when the grasping stops. The nature of the mind free from confusion, free from grasping. Before the next thing gets attached to, pushed away, opinionated about. Just in that moment when the heart relaxes, and there's openness, simplicity, no sense of self. Just let that fully be known. The utter ordinariness and perfection, simplicity of the mind free of obstruction. Let that be known. Let that speak for itself.